0: So as I got more into the practice, the attention that I gained by practicing yoga really gave me more insight to how I live my life. And I think that's always the intention of yoga. It's to wake you up and to help you make these conscious choices that can really impact you and your community, your family, and the world.
1: Thanks for checking out Guys Talking Yoga. So this podcast is focused on getting more men into yoga by raising awareness of its many benefits through conversations with other guys. I'm your host, Derek Vanderwalker, and today's guest is Ryan Burns. Ryan shares how in his early 20s, he was filled with a sense of invincibility and bravado that's not uncommon for a lot of young guys. And it was lower back pain that started to humble him and made him seek out a chiropractor who suggested that he try yoga. And what Ryan found in that yoga practice definitely helped with lower back pain, but it was really the mind-body connection that he discovered along the way and gave him the insight that he was seeking and how he should be making better choices in living his life. It's one of the more philosophical conversations we've had so far, and I really enjoyed talking to Ryan. Ryan Burns, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us.
0: Hey, Derek. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Great to have you. Tell us a little bit about your path with yoga and how it's impacted your life.
0: Yoga found me. And uh, I do think everything I've experienced from yoga is truly grace. It's nothing that I made myself better. It was almost like I was in a path to not understanding the realization of who I could be. And yoga turned that bus around for me.
1: And that was, was it early in your life? I mean, where were you about in your life when you had this introduction to yoga?
0: Early 20s and then more seriously into the late 20s. But early 20s, I was trying to fit yoga into my life instead of change the things that weren't working in my life because yoga helped me see that. So as I got more into the practice, the attention that I gained by practicing yoga really gave me more insight to how I live my life. And I think that's always the intention of yoga. It's never to be something that is just about the physicality of it. It's to wake you up and to help you make these conscious choices that can really impact you and your community, your family, and the world if you're you know old enough to believe that way.
1: So take us back to your 20s. And I love all what you said. We're going to come back to that a little later and talk a bit more about your practice. But Take us back to your twenties. Where were you living? What were you doing? And who was the person or the event that introduced you to yoga? Hmm.
0: Okay. So Southern California, born and raised and, you know, arrogant, cocky, just kind of knew that I had something, but was uh, living beyond what I could actually do with that something. Meaning like I was trying to lead with arrogance instead of have this really, truly authentic version of myself show up. So basically faking my way through life to not feel scared or out of control or uncertain about what the future holds. An event that kind of introduced me to yoga is that I just had a little bit of back pain. I was a basketball player, played in high school and mostly recreational, Southern California, beautiful weather. So most of my buddies would play three, four, five nights a week and then on the weekends. And so it was a pretty serious you know, competitive thing that we did and playing outside on the uh, asphalt or the concrete kind of beat you back up a little bit, your knees. And so I just was like, yeah, I want something to help me out. And after I kind of found some initial disc DVDs by this guy, Rodney Yee, he just had a simple core and back and I started feeling better. So I just kind of got turned on to the idea of what this could do. And obviously at that age, I think most of us in our 20s don't have much depth. So little by little, I started to really want to experience more of myself.
1: So right from the get-go, you saw the benefits just physically. It helped your back pain right away. Was it something that over time, you really just noticed that whether it was a sense of agency or just being stronger in your legs and your back, that the back pain went away?
0: I think it was more of this idea that I felt integrated. I was very uh, disjointed before using parts of my body, but not as an integrated whole. So the practice kind of started to make me feel more integrated. So when I walked or whatever, I didn't necessarily pull myself out of alignment as easily as I was doing before prior to the practice.
1: I feel it's an overlooked benefit or an unrealized benefit that a lot of people don't connect the dots on in the beginning because they're basically just trying to figure out how to do a down dog or do warrior three or some type of pose. Right. But over time, when your body becomes more supple and stronger and more tuned in, it does totally feel integrated. And whether you're hitting a tennis ball or you're shooting a three-pointer or you're on the ski slopes or a surfboard, there's an awareness that you feel. And for a lot of people, just having that sense of integration does a lot both on managing pain, avoiding injury, but also just moving better and moving with intention and knowing what you're doing.
0: And most people don't ever consider too that tension in the body results in abnormal thinking and, and mental unrestlessness. But again, when you're free of tension and you're integrated, you start to experience the benefits, not only physically, mentally, and in kind of a soulful way. But again, the more tension we hold in our body, the more it affects us in ways that we're not conscious of until we become free of it.
1: Absolutely. So let's go back to the Rodney DVDs. How did your practice evolve from the dvds did you start going to studios did you start exploring more with those in the yoga community how did it evolve
0: yeah i went to a chiropractor who had, had some of the yoga instructors get chiropractic adjustment from him he recommended that i come in to take the yoga classes they offered for bikram yoga classes place in costa mesa and i was like well yeah let me try this and like i said i play basketball kind of i'd say 3 4 nights a week plus on the weekends and so this was a saturday And in lieu of the basketball, I decided to go to yoga. And looking back, I mean, basketball was definitely beating me up by jumping up and down in these concrete asphalt courts. And yoga was asking me to kind of, again, heal, repair, integrate. So I went to the class, young lady taught it. I don't really remember much about her, but I do remember there was this subtle radiance about her. And I don't remember any facial features or any kind of body dimensions or anything like that, other than there was a radiance that. I just knew she had a way of portraying important information to me. And I didn't know what it was at that time. I just knew that I should be paying attention. And so I did. And then from there, I kept going back and moved actually across the country to the East Coast. And on the East Coast, met the friend that we share, Johnny Gillespie, and ended up taking a lot of vinyasa and not as much Bikram. But with an idea of what Vikram offered, Johnny has taken it and making it a little bit more of his style of teaching it. So I practiced those two together for, I mean, I would say with Johnny at his studio, I would say 12, 13, if not more years. I, I don't necessarily gauge my practice on years anymore. I just keep showing up because I know I need it. And whatever year it is, it's not a big deal for me. But it's been quite a while now.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I've been I got introduced to yoga 20 years ago, but it's not like my practice sequentially you know improved year after year the exact same way.
0: It's not the stock market, right?
1: It's not the stock market. You know right. what I mean? It's funny. Even when I have injuries, let's say I've injured myself in hockey or just other things that happen in life, I do initially regret not being able to do certain things and certain yoga poses because I've injured my wrist in hockey, I can't put weight on it. But it just becomes another opportunity to work on your practice. Yep. And if you've got a weak wrist, well, how are you going to support that wrist or not use that wrist and work on other things? So you can, you can support those injuries with blocks and bolsters and walls, or you can work on something else and you let that body part heal. And that's part of the practice. So I really appreciate you saying you don't see your practice in, in years. It sounds like you sort of see it in just either a felt sense of knowing or you just see it as just greater wisdom and awareness in your body. And that's constantly fluidly evolving and growing.
0: Yeah, and again, like I will always allude to, I feel like this practice is more about the mind than the body. There's this intimate connection. And I think we are so, at this time in our evolution as a society and as a species, so disconnected from the idea of training the mind. And Eastern philosophy has really always been more purposeful with training the mind. And I feel like some of the Eastern disciplines that now we've brought to the West are losing their authenticity because people aren't staying with that idea that it's not just the physicality. There's a whole beingness that's involved between the mind and the body. And if the mind's undisciplined, it doesn't matter what the body, quote, looks like because it's still disconnected from the intimacy of what the mind is trying to direct it to understand through the wisdom of just kind of biofeedback, so to speak.
1: So you've always had this awareness. Do you know where that awareness came from? Was there something you were introduced to when you were younger, as far as thinking about things from an Eastern philosophical standpoint, or is this something that you just embodied and developed along the way?
0: Yeah, honestly, it's almost like asking somebody why they have blue eyes. You know what I mean? It was just something that was what it was. And for me, being in myself, I never knew it to be any different. But when I talk to people throughout my life, I've found it to be something that other people take pause and and maybe step back to say, well, how do you see that? Or how are you aware like that? Again, it just is. And I think we all have gifts, right? So I think my gift is no different than having anybody who has blue eyes or is tall or is extra strong or the list goes on and on. But this clarity that comes to me when I start to dive deep into myself is partly because my dad, I mean, he had me reading the King James version of the Bible when I was probably 10, 11 years old. And it was, I had to do that before I could go outside and play with my friends on the weekends or so on and so forth. So these ideas, I think, were just maybe kind of being planted. I I like using the principle of the farmer often. There's this kind of integration of what it is that the farmer is trying to get into the earth. And you don't ever see any kind of crops or any kind of uh, fruition of that seed and the work that's done until much, much later. So I think those spiritual principles when I was a young man were definitely kind of marinating for something that I would see as I got older. And however I got here, like I said, I have no idea, but I'm very thankful for the grace that I've been given and the insight that I have.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. I think there's so much in our early years that do inform our sense of ourselves, our sense of the world, and they may not be obvious when you're seven or 10 or 18 or 26,
0: They piss you off for the most part. It's not something that I wanted to do. It made me upset. But later on, there's these gifts, as you're alluding to, that come. And you're like, oh, okay. Part of the pathway to the truth is it'll piss you off first.
1: Right, right. You don't always want the truth when the truth (laughs) arrives. Usually it's like, this is not what I'm seeking right now. And this is, quite frankly, derailing where I'd really want to go.
0: And that's why I think some guys don't really appreciate yoga because it feels like walking through hell. If you're a muscular dude and you come into yoga, or if you're an egotistical macho, which again, the masculine unconsciously can lean toward, right? (laughs) I know that's where I started. So it's something that you come into the game and you're you're saying like, wow, what's happening here? And then all of a sudden you're introduced to this part of yourself, but you got to let the other limited self go and die in a sense, which is, can be very painful. And I think that's where the metaphor walking through hell to get to heaven kind of comes from.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, Richard Rohr, who's a Christian theologian talks about sort of a false self that eventually you sort of shed later in life or, or life will help you shed. And I feel that way with yoga. I do feel like from a physical standpoint, there's a humbling and an introduction to what yoga is and most of us all have that introduction through the a typical vinyasa class and it's hard to keep up it's hard to feel like you're in control by the time you get into a pose the rest of the class is already a pose or two already along and it's humbling and it can be exhausting and fatiguing and there's sort of a rebuilding of you a little bit in your practice and if you stay with it as you and i No, there's a lot of great gifts and learnings and wisdom that comes out of it. So for those guys who are listening and thinking about, we've talked about the mind a few times early in this conversation. You have a deep appreciation for how yoga can help you be aware of your mind, help you sort of be a friend of your own mind, and sort of enjoy the mind-body connection. How would you articulate how the physical practice of yoga gets you to a place where you can better know and understand and feel what you're thinking and how your mind is behaving?
0: Okay. Uh, I feel the most pragmatic way to feel that attention physically is to let the eyes still, as you know, with the drishti, and let the intensity of the effort be balanced. So if you're breathing erratically, you're Effort is overwhelming, and if you're kind of not really challenging yourself or on that razor edge, so to speak, of ease and effort, then you're not going to be in the true presence or the now, if you will. That's the way to feel the attention and that energy and that mind-body connection physically is when there is an effortless ease when you're tuned in to the breath. It's, it's just it's a subtle background. It's not overwhelming. And you can feel each moment that you're in the practice and each pose you're in with this intense detail, but you're not attached to any one part of the body. There's this holistic experience that happens. And I've danced through many vinyasa classes in the sense that with the body breath and it happens in small increments in the beginning, as you said, and then little by little, as you stay with it, you can dance longer and more effortless. And then it gives you energy instead of depletes you as you leave the class.
1: So how would you illustrate a moment in class where you either find that effortless ease and, and what would be examples of where you're not having that ease and where you actually do have that ease at the edge where you're breathing easy?
0: Yeah, I think when you can feel, again, the body and you're not necessarily looking for an end result. You're just attentive to one small aspect of what you're doing, whether it's straightening the knee, which is a big tenet in Bikram yoga, or it's simply retracting the shoulder blades or whatever you're asked to do. You're so aware of that, that you're no longer looking at the big picture of how does this pose look in the mirror? How am I doing in comparison to anybody else? You're simply just with what you're doing. And that's the way to be in that now physicality is where you lose the idea of good, bad, right, wrong, hard, easy, should, shouldn't, just letting go of all that and just being with whatever small movement you're doing with your complete attention. And when you're not in it, if you've been in the presence of somebody who's really labored with their breathing or just moving without a lot of awareness and attention, it feels disjointed and I've done that myself where you're trying to physically do something but you're no longer able to integrate it as you move toward that goal. So you lose integrity. It's almost like at the gym when you see maybe a gentleman doing bicep curls, but he's arching his back and trying to use momentum to lift the weight because you're no longer conscious of, okay, I need to stabilize first and then move from that stabilization. Yoga is going to ask you to slow down. Yoga is going to ask you to, as you said, humble yourself and do less with more precision. And then little by little, you can build toward that, beautiful way of expressing whatever pose.
1: Yeah, I love that. Definitely humbling yourself. I was just in mean, your comment about the gym, you know, my yoga practice and my awareness of the breath and the awareness of integrating the body, I now lift a lot lighter weight. I mean, I will go heavier, but in the beginning, I'm focusing on the breath, I'm focusing on the movement of my back and my rib cage and my hips. And I'm using pretty much lightweight and I'm really doing that really to get the body connected. And if I have time, I'll go find heavier weight, but I definitely have an intention awareness of how I move and how I work out and what I'm doing. And it reminds me, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger had some quote where he made like in the eighties where he said, when he's doing a bicep curl, says, I put my mind in my bicep. He's literally trying to foster that neuroplasticity, that awareness right into that muscle And there's so many cool ways yoga can not just complement your physical experience on the court, on the ice, on the track, in the pool, but there's just a great awareness of just how you move in general.
0: Exactly, and that presence, whether it's surfing, whether it's skiing, whether it's doing anything, you can walk with that type of presence. Once you've touched that in the yoga practice, you can bring that to every aspect of your life. There's an ease when you're driving, There's an ease that you connect to in challenging moments of your life. It doesn't always have to be reactivity. And I think that's one of the things I've learned the most about in my life and my practice is being less reactive, being able to be with whatever I'm feeling and not have it overwhelm me to the point where I no longer have a conscious decision on how I'm going to respond
1: reactivity is huge. I feel you in the fact of of definitely being aware of your mind. And and in the past it was, if I'm upset or angry or sort of down in the dumps about something, I'm even now equally aware of when my mind's in a great place and you're very excited about something you're not paying attention because you're so fired up because something great just worked out. It's great to enjoy that. But at the same time, don't lose yourself too much in that excitement around something.
0: True. And then also, just for the philosophical other side of that, to go to the depth of despair, to go to the dark night of the soul, to go to those challenging moments where nothing makes sense and this is just hard, or to go to the elation of a child being born, or if you're a sports fan, the team winning a big, whatever championship that year, it can all be great. And I think life is meant to be experienced, it's not meant to be kind of staying in this idea of I need to be. In my comfort zone. Life is going to pull you out of it, whether you were volunteering to go or not. But it's how you go, when you go. Are you going to go with poise and integration and, and awareness of this kind of essence of yourself that is undisturbed no matter where life is pulling you? And these are things that the yoga practice and the perseverance build into your character.
1: So I want to connect that back to what you said earlier, which was sort of waking up with the consciousness there was an acknowledgement that we're human. Like there's gonna be the depths of life and struggle and despair and and moments that we aren't necessarily loving the current state of our situation. And there's gonna be amazing moments in life where there's absolute joy and, and love and celebration. But at the same time, there's this awareness, an opportunity to transcend and know that there's another experience to be aware of on a deeper level or on a higher level, depending on kind of how you see the metaphor. Do you see that?
0: Yeah, and I think that's well said. It's it's something where you understand that you're in the world, but not of the world, to put it succinctly as a great teacher said. So it's something that you can understand that I can have all these, again, bring it back to a yoga class. I have all these humbling experiences. I have all these great experiences. I can be run over by the yoga bus or I can jump on the yoga bus. It just depends on the day but none of them make you any different than the essence of you who showed up that day. It's just how you're moving through the uh, dream of life. (laughs) It's not to be taken to this idea that it now, because of your status or your bank account or because your height or because of whatever that you're seeing and you identify as being this limitation because you're so much more, as long as you're willing to go through whatever process is going to take to get you there. Again, the farmer. The farmer has infinite potential if he's willing to do the work.
1: And all the practice, the whole metaphor comes down to that yoga pose, the asana you're in, the asana that you're working on, finding that edge where it's struggle, but there's, you're in control. You're able to breathe easy. You're able to focus your gaze, as you noted earlier, And that's really what it's all about. And it might be a total seated practice on a cushion, or it might be something more physical and more engaging. But either way, there's that opportunity to bring your mind back to where you are and practice being in that moment and practice being aware of that moment.
0: Which is through deep surrender, which unfortunately the connotation of the word is weakness when you surrender, but it's actually surrendering to a higher potential within yourself by letting go of being so identified with whatever limitation that you've been stuck in in that point of your life. So just all those tools get you to surrender. And I'm a believer that when the yoga practice of that training of the beingness of you has served its purpose, then you take the boat across the river, so to speak, and you leave the boat on the bank and keep walking. You don't necessarily keep going back and forth on the river on the boat anymore.
1: I love that. So Ryan... So for guys who are listening, what do you think for guys who don't have a practice or really haven't committed to a practice or haven't explored, what do you feel like they're missing out on not having a yoga practice and exploring this path?
0: You know, Derek, I, I love to speak in metaphors. And it's just, again, one of the things that I feel helps me get the point across. What you're asking me to do is kind of like saying, hey, tell the guy how great it is to have a kid, right? Right. And they haven't had a kid yet, talk them into it and everything else. It's like most guys see the challenges that parents face and they're like, why would I want to do that? Or why would I want to put my, but when you feel what you feel as far as a connection with a child, it's something that is beyond words. And I feel that yoga is that for me and my experience, I wish I had the right words to make a great sales pitch, but you're going to have to, as the listeners themselves, will make a choice to say, all right, all these guys are saying something. Maybe there is something here. I don't know what it is, but I'm willing to find it because that's the only way it's ever going to be their practice. It can't be mine, can't be Johnny's, can't be yours. Those are things that happened on our experience. But ultimately, you have to take this leap of faith, take this step into the unknown and think, wow, let me just get curious about what the possibilities could be.
1: Ryan, that is great. Hey, I want to thank you for joining me on this podcast and sharing your thoughts. This has been a really thoughtful and, you know, warmly philosophical conversation. And I appreciate hearing your thoughts and all the things that you care for and about the practice of yoga and what it can bring to life. So thank you.
0: Oh, my pleasure. It's truly been an honor to, you know, have the opportunity to speak with you and to share like-mindedness because I hear a lot in the words you use and the wisdom that you've gained through your practice. And my intention is to just let everybody who's willing to come and and benefit from all the people that have come before us, just like you and I have benefited from the people who practiced before us.
1: Awesome. That's great. Thank you, Ryan. And be well, and please stay in touch. It'd be great to connect again in the future.
0: For sure. Namaste.
1: So as I said, this was a great conversation and definitely one of the more philosophical ones we've had on the podcast. As Ryan points out, all these guys are saying something. So there must be something here. A thought I want you to carry with you as you start your yoga practice is, learn to feel what you feel and get curious about what the possibilities may be. And if you start there and you're open to this stuff, it'll just flow.